<laughs> Knew I was going to see you again. Welcome back to episode three of the Anhedonic Headphones Podcast 2, Electric Boogaloo. In case you did not hit the subscribe button uh, on either the Podbean site or in the iTunes Megamart, uh, and you did not listen to the first two episodes of this podcast, that's okay. There's plenty of time for you to jump on board with this thing. Uh, my name is Kevin Krein. I am the writer behind the award-winning music website, Anhedonic Headphones, and this podcast is an extension of that Uh, But it is not about me, folks. It is about the people that I work with at my day job. Uh, I am interviewing them one by one and asking them about music that is important to them. My guest today for episode three is somebody who has been uh, at our place of business since before it even opened. My guest is Leona Openshaw. Okay, so, um, Leona, thank you for being a guest on the podcast. I appreciate it. Yeah, Um, you, well, first, you have selected six songs from various portions of your life, presumably, to talk about. Correct. Organized autobiographically. Or chronologically? I think they're chronological okay. as well. But okay. my life kind of also went chronologically, so that okay. should work autobiographically okay. as well. Um, first, uh, you have worked at the co-op since day one. Even before day one. Even before it was open, you were there. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Which means you have been stuck with me as a co-worker for the last two and a half years. Only two and a half? It's only been two and a half, okay. yeah. yeah. I'm sure it feels like a lot longer. Well. Um <laughs> <laughs> my my career there is a bit of a blur sure. at this point. And, but before we were co-workers, uh, you knew me as cilantro guy and then later rabbit guy. And then also the guy who found your cat, Lyman. <gasps> right! And then the guy who interviewed <laughs> you for the paper. That's when correct. I used right. to work at the paper. So right, yeah, right. we've known each other kind of for a long time. Because Lyman was hanging out in my front yard. Yeah, that was a mysterious thing where he showed up in your yard. And I grabbed him, and then I called the the five zero on him, and they came to fetch him. And then later that day, one hundred and fifty dollars or something on that. You had to post bail for him. Yeah. Oh yes. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, because some I told my wife that. I found a cat, and then she was like, oh, I saw something on someone's Facebook. They shared about a cat missing, and then I called the store to try to get your phone number, and no one would give me your phone number, and I'm like, I found her cat, so she needs to know about that. Like, you weren't working that Mm -hmm. day, and Paige wouldn't give out your information. Bless her heart. Which is, of course, proper form. Yeah, proper form, yeah. yeah, So how did I find out? Did you leave a note? I told her to tell you. Okay. I was like, I found her cat, and it's at the, it's in the pokey, and you gotta go spring him from the pokey now. Yeah, and first you were my hero, and then <laughs> then when I found out what I owed, I wasn't so happy. But you know, they have to they have to charge for their services. They're yeah, they're doing yeah, a service yeah. for the community by yeah. giving these cats, these stray animals, a safe place to be until their person comes to fetch them. Until yeah. their person comes. So let's start with your tunes. All right, you've picked. Uh, four things that I kind of could see being grouped together and then two things that I did not anticipate. So this is going to be a, a conversation full of surprises. Well, as I, as when we first talked, I said, do you mind if I, it's multiple genres? And you were like, fine. Yeah, no, no, that's fine. And, that's great. Um, so I did cross some genres. Yeah. Well, the genre crossing is fine. It was just kind of, I was really surprised by the last two, mm. but we'll get to that when the okay. time comes. All right. Uh, beginning with, uh, Simon and Garfunkel. Chose the Hazy Shade of Winter by Simon and Garfunkel, which is it's interesting to me that that over and over 
was a song that came to mind because it's not one that I play. Oh, really? At this point in history at all. Okay. What album is this off? It is off of... Gosh, I don't know. It's either off of Parsley, Sage, Rosemary, and Time or Bookends. Okay. Not that I'm very well versed. But I became acquainted with it as a radio play song. Okay. Because back, you know, when I was young, mm-hmm. that was where music mostly sure, was sure, on sure. the radio. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But the reason this was still okay, so as a kid, you know, I grew up like we all do, listening to the music that our parents play. Sure. And then then my oldest I'm number five out of six siblings. Okay. And so my siblings each had brought different music into our family life and some of it was more what I liked and I mean I kind of enjoyed it all, but it's like what became mine is what I focused on for this. Okay. And Simon Garfunkel had probably done, I think, Sounds of Silence. In fact, my siblings had done performed Sounds of Silence at a uh, talent show at our high school. Oh, wow. Okay. But the reason Hazy Shade of Winter stands out so much is because, so I, you know, so, okay, so I listened to my parents' music and then I kind of became prey to the pop music mm-hmm. of my childhood, my early sure, childhood. Sure. I liked Herman's Hermits and the Beatles when they were poppy and... Oh my gosh, I, I'm embarrassed to admit that I love Paul Revere and the Raiders, who I think don't have much uh, longevity in the, like, this is music worth remembering sure, category, although sure. I think some of them are still still touring. Um, but Hazy Shade of Winter stands mm-hmm. out for me as the moment when I realized that popular music could be poetry. Okay. And that is where it became so significant to me. Okay. It was a transformative song for me personally. Okay. okay. And I loved it so much that I used to ask people to call me up and tell me when it was on the radio. Oh wow. So this is why this stands out for me is like the song that became my gateway song into pop music into music is something deeper. Okay. Something okay. and music is poetry. Okay. Something is something. Music is something way more personal. Okay. So wow, it stands the test of time for me as the song that did that. Okay. Um, any other final thoughts or additional thoughts on Simon and Garfunkel and Hazy Shade of Winter, or do you want to? We can move on. Through. I mean, okay. when it, I mean, really, when it comes to my favorite, I wouldn't even necessarily say this is my favorite Simon and Garfunkel song as I look back uh-huh. over time, but it was the one that changed everything. Sure. Um, so the next one is Joni Mitchell, A Case of You, yeah. from her album Blue, which is the only Joni Mitchell that I'm really like familiar with, mm-hmm. I guess, aside from her cover of, or the, the cover of... Um, both Sides Now, the orchestral version of Both Sides Now from the early 2000s. That's the only one that I really know. Hmm. Um, and I remember on her birthday last year, you were asking me how I felt about Joni Mitchell, and I said I wasn't really well-versed in it. <laughs> and both you and Paige and Andrea kind of ganged up on me about being uh, an uncultured buffoon. And so I felt kind of bad about that. But this is one, this is a, a Joni Mitchell song that I... I like this song in general, no matter who is performing it, because there's myriad cover versions of this mm-hmm. out there. Mm-hmm. Um, but so what made you, why is this one important to you? What made you pick this one? Um, or is, I mean, is Joni Mitchell like one of your favorite artists? Joni Mitchell was my artist. Okay. So it was Simon and Garfunkel that opened the door to poet music as poetry. Okay. And that's what I really, that's where my soul, my heart musically 
went okay. was to the poetic aspects of music. Okay. And Joni Mitchell, it's interesting because my first encounter with her was not even her music. Um, my ninth grade English class at a Catholic high school in Chicago um, took seriously her music as poetry. Okay. And I think they were trying to make English, you know, relevant to young folks. It wasn't only Joni Mitchell. I think that there were a couple other singer-songwriters whose songs we, um, you know, read as poetry. So I didn't. Was even... it in the? Was it in like a textbook? It, I, yeah, I think it was. Was big? Was it Big Yellow Taxi? No, okay. it was Marcy. Okay, I don't know that. Which one is though. off of her first album. Okay. And maybe another song or two. But anyway, I went myself as a, like a fifteen-year-old and bought her album, okay. her first album, okay. "Song to okay. the Seagull." Okay. Uh, which is recorded at this low level. You had to like turn the volume all the way up to ever listen to that. It was it was produced by David Crosby, who kind of discovered her. Oh, I did uh, that. I didn't and know. Kind okay. of brought her. Okay. Just, you know, was amazingly immediately smitten with everything about her. You know, because she's not only was her singing was amazing, her songwriting was amazing, her chording and her guitar work was quite unique, and she was kind of beautiful in this willowy blonde sure. way that. Was Cros- so Crosby not a good producer then is what you're saying? Well, at that point in time, he had something to learn about how to balancing <laughs> or whatever goes into the volume control. But I bought that album and I brought it home and none of my older siblings who, as I said, had kind of been musical, you know, path breakers sure. for me, had ever listened to Joni Mitchell. Okay. And I just sort of fell in love with this kind of, you know, willowy blonde poetics folk singer mm-hmm. and then bought her second album and her third album and then I believe it's the fourth album is Blue mm-hmm. which probably was the one that brought her to much more public attention isn't and that one of her most well regarded it is I would say Blue and then her next one actually my personal favorite is Song for the Roses the okay, next one okay. but after that she did Court and Spark and that was the one that launched her into her superstar phase. Oh, wow, okay. At which point, those of us who were, you know, devotees were, like, aghast because suddenly, you know, nerdy, I mean, not nerdy, just regular people uh-huh. were liking her. Oh. And Don't you hate it when other people latch on to something you like? Yeah, yeah. totally. Yeah. yeah. Just before our love got lost, you said, I am as constant as a northern star, and I said, Constantly in the darkness Where's that at? If you want me, I'll be in the barn On the back of a cartoon coaster In the blue TV screen light I drew a map of Canada Case of You was the song of all her songs that was my favorite. And, um, you know, I can't, unfortunately, I can't be articulate enough to exactly say why that is. It just was. There was something about the, it wasn't just about the words. It was about everything. The composition, the metaphor at its base, Mm -hmm. you know, that I could drink a case of you and still be on my feet. Yeah, 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 yeah. And the whole, I don't know, it's just a beautiful musical composition. Lyrics, melody, the way she performed, the, 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 I guess it was just guitar. You know, she would alternate yeah. between guitar, piano, and in those days, dulcimer. Okay. This but one is just, just guitar. I think this yeah. one just guitar. And with this kind of great little rhythmic, you know, yeah. this yeah. bass kind of thing that she puts on it. To my, you know, later on, I found out how many people regarded it as a favorite song of hers. And it was, you know, there was a point where I thought, should I be choosing... If I'm going to choose one Joni Mitchell yeah, song, yeah, 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 I wondered yeah, yeah. if I should choose Hegira. Okay, I don't because know Because she herself, at one point, when the woman is not shy about her 
legacy. She mm-hmm. believes that she is one of the greatest <laughs> musical artists of her time. And she well, I think she's earned the ability to say something. Like yeah. That. <laughs> and she was saying that she thought someday people would be studying her work and Hajira was the song she selected. Oh, okay. Okay. And it's this I'm traveling some vehicle, I'm seated in some cafe, a defective from the petty wars until love sucks me back that way. And it's just sort of a meditation on that kind of the me person versus couple like how sure. the couple sure, sure, take sure, sure. oh sure. now i'm returning to myself those things that you and i suppressed okay so it's got amazing poetry and musical composition and she felt it was as you know as important a piece of music as any piece that anybody might study but again it was a case of you that for me resonated for years and years and years as of my favorite artist my favorite piece so sure. it still is the one that okay I chose. okay Like yours, she knew your life, she knew your devils and your deeds, and she said, Go to him, stay with him if you can, but be prepared to bleed. Oh, but you are in my blood, you're my holy wine, you're so bitter, bitter and so sweet. Oh, I. one you had tagged as like a bonus like for personal reasons it was the Beatles song in my life yes yes um full disclosure I am not a Beatles guy okay and I know that that's kind of like a I mean puts me in a minority Mm -hmm. of people Mm -hmm. I respect what they did for popular music Mm -hmm. and their importance like you can still hear their influence uh, in things today, mm-hmm. as far as people like Beatle esque is a common uh, descriptor for things. Mm-hmm. But my parents didn't listen, like, they listened to the Beatles, but not when in the 80s when I was growing up. Mm-hmm. So it's not something I ever like heard in the house. And then when it was like time for me to start like listening to music on my own, uh, it was never something like I tried. And I just didn't have a connection to it. And so, like, I've tried a couple of times. Like, am I doing it wrong? Like, <laughs> should I? this is something that I'm supposed to be interested in. You must be doing it wrong. I'm doing it wrong. And I've tried a couple of times. And I'm like, yeah, I don't know. This is, uh, it's not for me. So, I mean, whenever people talk about the Beatles, I was kind of like, slowly back myself out of the conversation because I have nothing to contribute. But so this, I don't know anything about this song. What else, like, if it was a single, if it was on an album at what point in their very brief career, because they weren't really around for that long before they kind of dissolved. They were just, like, so busy during those that time. You know, I think, what do they have, a dozen albums or something? I don't really know. Because, like, I mean, in, in the early days of pop music, you didn't really do albums, you did singles. Well, they did albums. Yeah, I know that they did albums. And I believe this is off of Rubber Soul. Yeah. Or, but it could be off of... I think it's off of Rubber Soul. Rubber Soul. And Rubber Soul was when they, they were starting to get, you know, a little psychedelic sure. slash groovy at that point. Okay. Not that this song is that. This as, song is... As one does mm-hmm. during that time. Yes, yes. They, and they were experimenting with substances and <laughs> hanging around with people. And this was a contagious kind of thing based on, you know, everybody was like, oh, this is different. So, <laughs> but the reason, I mean, so my family... Okay, I'm telling you, number five yeah. out of six... The Beatles was our musical base. Okay. We, everybody, you know, at Christmas time, we'd get the new Beatles album, somebody would get it. Okay. And then we would okay. all listen to it. Okay. And I don't think we owned some of the early Beatles. In fact, I have this older brother who was kind of a music snob, and he had liked folk music, and the Beatles were just a pop band when I started. I was like, gosh, when they were on the Ed Sullivan show, I was probably about nine. Okay. 
So they were a teeny bopper thing for a long time. And my brother, who was seven years older than me, eight years older than me, paid zero attention to them until about maybe their like fourth or fifth album. I think it was yesterday and today. And then the rubber sold that were the... That was when they started getting groovy. Mm-hmm. That's when they started going deeper. And that's when my that brother started paying attention. And so I personally didn't own a single Beatles album. I didn't need to. I suppose. They were already, yeah, in, the family, already in the house. But yeah. they were, we pretty much, you know, bowed down at the Beatles altar that was right there with anything. I mean, really, it was probably one of our most revered. Wow. I am really doing it wrong. Next level. I mean, my parents were... My father did not like rock and roll music pretty much at all. We would turn it off when he pulled in the driveway. My mother was much more willing to kind of hang with the kids and listen to what we were listening to as long as she didn't think it was scary or, you know, dangerous. Sure, sure. There are places I remember The reason this particular song in my life becomes a significant song is you you know, I pick out these songs because not only did I love them, but they became significant, is that my brother had that song, my brother Jim, this mm-hmm. is my brother Jim, he had that song in his wedding. Okay. And later on, he died from complications from diabetes oh, no. when I was 20 and he was 27. Oh, wow. And then five years later... When I got married at age 25, I had that song in my wedding. Oh, wow. And So you weren't fooling around about the personal significance that's of this one. That's one of those personal yeah, 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 Yes, yeah. this one. And later on, um, when my parents had their 50th wedding anniversary, one of my siblings kind of put together a, like a video montage for them as a couple and then each of us kids as we came along. And we each had to pick a song that was yeah, the soundtrack yeah. uh-huh. for us. Okay. And his was in my life. Uh-huh. Mine was, I don't know, somehow it was Joni Mitchell's The Circle Game. And I always think later, how did it become that? That was never one of my favorite Joni songs. But I think because that song is about growing up. Oh, okay. And that's okay. what we were each doing in this video. Oh, I know I'll never lose affection for people and things that went before. I know I'll often stop and think about them. This is a nice segue because you've structured this so that it then goes into McCartney's solo material. Yeah, yeah. Um, so then we all had our hearts broken because the Beatles broke up. <laughs> and I, I remember reading later, I, I got the Rolling Stone magazine for a number of years, and there was this point where they talked about how the 70s were so sad because the Beatles who we loved broke up and the nasty Rolling Stones went on forever. <laughs> and I never did care much for the Rolling Stones. Some pieces of them. But sure. as, as, a, as a group, uh, you know, their image was that kind of nasty boy image where the Beatles, fairly or not, yeah. came off as these kind of sweetie pies. Sure. I mean, John Lennon was not a sweetie pie, but them as a band had this kind of a lovable image and the fact that they made those two... Um, Movies that we, sure. you know, yeah, Hard Day's yeah, Night yeah. and Help kind of cemented this sort of, oh, they're, they're fun, they're, you know. We and the like Rolling them. Stones were like smacked out of their mind. Yeah, yeah, they were like, you know, what's that song of theirs about the devil and, you know, I mean, the Beatles. Sympathy for the devil? Yeah, 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 that kind of stuff. But anyway, so the Beatles broke up, but then each of the Beatles spun off and did their own separate work. and But somehow Paul was the mm-hmm. one who's, Maybe he had, I don't know, somehow his independent work was the one that felt most accessible to at least my sister, my two years older than me sister, okay. and I, as the Beatles, you know, broke apart. And what are your thoughts on McCartney and Wings? I never was a big Wings person. Okay. That was kind of like, you know, I, I appreciated the fact that he, like, what did he do? He 
made Belinda sit at the piano and like taped her fingers till she, I mean, like she never really wanted to do music uh-huh. or wasn't that musically gifted. Yeah. But the fact that he wanted her to be part of his musical life sure. so that he, you know, so I thought that was kind of cute. But no, I was never a big Wings person. So it was really those McCartney albums that he did on his own okay. that made a big impression. Every night I just want to go out, get out of my head. Every day I don't want to get up, get out of my bed. Every night I want to play out. And every day I want to do But tonight I just want to stay in. So you've picked every night. Yes. Do you have any idea what you can listen to that now? I just listened to a little bit of it. It's it, there's nothing profound. It is just a perfect pop song. Okay. It is a and song. you know what? That's okay. And I mean, so that becomes like sort of my almost my exceptional song in here because the other ones are about poetry and about mm-hmm. some kind of deeper significance. Sure. This is just, as far as I'm concerned, a perfect little gem of a just an adorable little song. And using his voice, you know, as a as an instrument, mm-hmm. because one of the significant parts is him going, Ooh. but anyway, it's an adorable song. It's a song that stands out. I have only one song downloaded on my iPad, and it uh-huh. is, that is this one okay? Because I, somebody was like trying to teach me how could you know how do you download music? Because I've never learned to really do that. I can listen to stuff now on YouTube through my Bose speakers and get some quality, but it's the only one that I ever picked out that I was going to purchase. Oh, so you actually bought this one song from the iTunes Megamart? I okay. guess so. I guess Shout out to iTunes. A, yeah. Shout well, this podcast is available on iTunes, so I can't, oh, I can't okay. shit talk iTunes. Okay, yeah, okay. Yeah. So it's just, it's my favorite little pop piece, okay. and, and, and most people don't really know it. It okay. doesn't stand out for most people, but... And be with you. Um, so we're coming into the final two now, and this is where I, when I was looking these up and, and grabbing them for the podcast, I, I was surprised. Uh, this one I was I had not heard of this group, uh, the Paul Winter Consort. Mm-hmm. Um, you have selected a song called Icarus, mm-hmm. and I know nothing about this except that it's kind of like a strange hybrid of like folk and jazz fusion. Is that how you would describe this? Well, really what, okay, so the Paul Winter Consort came out of a previous band called Oregon. Okay, I don't even know that. And Oregon performed with, they had oboe. Okay. And they had um, sitar and tablas. So that's... So they were kind of bringing together, I guess it was a kind of jazz fusion, but it was really sort of the beginning of what maybe... Later, be called became called new age music. Okay, but, or world music. Or world music, okay. but it was the first encounter with this kind of music I had. Okay. Now, when I was off at college, the group Oregon came through and played at this wonderful kind of bar slash saloon called uh, Ruby Gulch. Okay, and where and, did you go to school? Well, my school career was very spotty. This was my sophomore year okay. when I transferred to the University of Illinois in champaign Okay, okay. But anyway, they, this bar was kind of the slightly maybe alternative bar. Ah, and okay. the night that these guys performed, they wouldn't even use the um, cash registers because they wanted no sound pollution going oh, wow. on when these guys performed because their music was this beautiful, sort of like where classical met modern jazz, gotcha. pop, okay. etc. Okay. 
And so I thought they were awesome. But then that group morphed into, I think Oregon maybe still exists, but somehow some of the key people, Paul Winter being one of them, spun off and created this Paul Winter consort and this Icarus album. I and my boyfriend of that time and my dear friends, we just took it on as like this was, this is the music that the universe would sing. Okay. That was, so I guess you could call it, I don't know what you could call it. <laughs> Whatever that would be, it just felt like there were, there. sometimes there were lyrics, mostly not. Yeah. It's mostly yeah, just it's uh, mostly instrumental, instrumental yeah. explorations. And of course, you know, the story of Icarus. Icarus is the name of that first album. Yeah. It is, so it is sort of like their central refrain. There's other songs that I love quite well. I mean, the whole album I love. Okay. But that becomes the thematic element that sort of, you know. Is it a concept album or like a song cycle? Is it kind of like. I don't think it really repeats, but somehow that defines it. Okay. So later on, a lot of kind of sappy, less um, pure, a lot of people began to produce that kind of music. Sure. People that kind of made you go, really? I mean, I think the next one that was probably before it got messed up was Keith Jarrett was doing this that, piano music. That name sounds really familiar, but I don't... Well, he was a pianist who okay. would just kind of explore, and he had this album called The Colm Concerts, which okay. I guess Colm Germany is where he had done them. I think that was actually two album set, and that was be, kind of became like the next one that was pushing music more into this sort of... I don't know what you call it. I, I don't have the right word. You know, it is, it's not quite jazz because it's, it's, it's just jazz meets something more, I, I want, you know, what do you call that music? Well, new it's, age. It, it's new, new age. age. It's world. It's like a mix of a lot of different things. Yeah. Yes. With influence from a lot of different places. But, but in a way more like classical in that. I guess partly because there's no lyrics, partly because the music becomes this just this mood thing that's just strictly being determined by the motion, the, sure. the this journey that's going on with the instruments. So anyway, yeah, I just thought this was the this was the music. This okay. was the music okay. that changed my life at that time. At that time okay. again. Okay. Okay. Sort of like that. First Simon and Garfunkel song changed me and, and made me from pop into poetry. This moved me from it, folk rock in, in, into sure. something a little more classical. Yeah. Did that phase last a long time? Are you, is this what you still jam out to regularly? Well, I don't listen to it very often, but I've never stopped liking okay. it. Okay. Well, that's good. Um, so the last one, and this was, this was a kind of a, this was also surprising. The Pat Metheny group. Mm -hmm. This is surprising simply because my, I don't know if my family had many of their vinyl LPs, but the first CD that my father ever purchased was a Pat Metheny CD. Mm -hmm. So I was very familiar with the name, mm -hmm. kind of familiar with the idea of the music. Mm -hmm. It was jazz fusion. Um, and he's a guitarist. Yes. So you have picked uh, an older Pat Metheny jam. This is one of their earlier ones. First, First circle. circle. Yeah. Yeah, I guess it's, I think it's probably about like their fourth or fifth album. And I don't know all their early albums. Um, what, I don't even know how I got started on loving Pat Metheny, but I it guess- It seems like a logical step from this, the, the new age folky jazz fusion to, to kind of go into something yeah. like this. Jazz jazz that's more but okay you know the other thing that is my common arc uh -huh. is i like music pretty okay i don't like i mean i can enjoy something else but i what makes my heart sing what makes my soul happy is yeah. 
pretty music. Okay, okay. And this music is very pretty. Okay. started working with these Brazilian singers okay. who don't sing any words, but they use their voice as an instrument. Okay, so sure. This was, Wordless singing. So, yeah. So this, I, I don't know if you have listened to this song. Yeah, I listened to a little bit of it, never, yeah. I could listen to this forever. In fact, it's hard to get it pure. When I go to YouTube, it's blocked quite often. I don't know why I can't find just the plain. I'll find a lot of recordings of him performing it live oh okay places. that's weird there's these japanese ones i've actually seen pat metheny perform a couple times oh wow okay he is uh that we have a man living in northfield who grew up with pat metheny grew up playing music with him this guy's a, a bass player um he became a pilot but they were making all this music and they were he and pat metheny and he and another a bunch of people like in high school and then post high school and then at some point kevin the local guy, Kevin, decided <laughs> he needed to move on. He sure. didn't think that they were going to go anywhere. <laughs> and he went to the Air Force and learned to fly planes, and then he became a commercial pilot. Okay. And so when I got to know him, and mm -hmm. he's like, yeah, well, I know Pam Mahaney. He's a good friend. I used to play with him. And then I asked him at one point, like, so do you ever regret that you, you know, didn't stay with them, you know, musically? Mm -hmm. And went on, and he said... Uh, yeah, like uh, pretty much every single day of my life. Oh no, because that's so sad. They fairly young uh -huh. launched. In fact, he was the warm up for Joni Mitchell at one point, Pat Metheny. Oh wow! So those fuse also. 
Um, but he was pretty young when he got, I can't remember exactly how he suddenly got sort of famous. They, I mean, for, uh, I guess, like, the 70s and 80s were a different time where, like, popular, like, what became, like, popular, popular music. Um, I don't know if, like, I guess I don't know if, like, a group like this could be formed today and be successful, like, wildly successful. But, like, I was reading on Wikipedia earlier today trying to figure out which Pat Metheny album my family had on CD. Mm-hmm. And, like, it was, like, a commercial success for them and, like, won Grammys and, and everything. They, he has yeah. won more Grammys than any other recording artist, but most people have never heard of him. It's because it's, like, the the awards that they give out that aren't televised because it's, like, the j- like jazz and whatever. It's, like, I not part guess, of the... Uh, I guess, yeah. It's yeah. not the um, big vernacular for the, you know, the general... Pop vocal, consuming pop public. duo, or group. Yeah, it's really, to me, a kind of a tragedy or shocking that how few people have ever heard of Pat Metheny relative to how much music he's produced, how much critical acclaim he has received yeah, for what he yeah, does. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I like all kinds of music, and I could redo this list, you know, six more times and well, come you, up with a whole different list. This was the thing: is one of the, you were one of the earliest people that I asked about being on the podcast, and you labored well, for, I just had to think really hard for about, weeks and weeks about well, what tunes to play. I was and trying I and to distill my life into five songs, and you know, when you're as old as me, Kevin, you're not that old. Oh, well, I'm old I mean, enough that even if I picked one per decade... You are, like... <laughs> I mean, I guess, like, relatively speaking in comparison to me, yes, but not you really. Mean, you know, well, I'm 30 years older than all of you. Yeah, I know. So that's 
you know, and, and those are significant years because those are the years you're listening to music with an adult mind. Sure. You know, the, when you're at home with your family, you're inheriting music. You're, you're claiming sure, it as your sure. own once you go out in the world. So 30 more years, but I have to say, you know, you get distracted by raising children. You listen to less music. Yeah. Um, it's remarkable how many people don't listen to anything beyond what they liked when they were in their teens and 20s. Or don't listen to anything at all. Or don't listen to anything at all. Yeah. And I go through phases myself because the, as the technology has shifted... Like, you know I'm having trouble playing CDs right now, which is just ridiculous. So well, in, in 2019, like, no, like, I still use CDs, but, like, a lot of people don't. But I don't even know how to yeah, download. Yeah, I, I know, just, I know. I just listen through YouTube and my Bose box a lot of the time now. That's how a lot of people consume music, actually. But I do retain a relationship with the musical artists, and this is the thing that has always so, seems so sad to me about, you know, we... We work with people who have an amazing musical variety that they're playing, and mm-hmm. I'll say, "Who is that?" And yeah, they man. don't know. Yeah, it's just being played by a Pandora station sure. or a Spotify, yeah. and they don't yeah. really know. Yeah, and then I think, well, it's good that you listen to a lot of music, but that relationship with who the artist is, something about them, you know, even the liner notes and the album covers were so big for us. I know, I know, no, I know. I got get, I got get that, and it's it's interesting because. So yeah, some people just like have music on in the background and don't aren't active listeners. Mm-hmm. And like you ask, this was a conversation that I got into with Wesley when I was recording his podcast because we were talking about a band from the '90s that we both really liked that I liked in the '90s during their prime, mm-hmm. and he just kind of latched onto them pretty recently. And we, t- we were talking about one specific song, and I asked, well, have you listened to the rest of this album? Because it's really good. And he was like, I don't really listen to albums. Mm, yeah. And so, I mean, I don't know if it's like, because he's like just a couple years younger than me, that it's just like, or if it's just the type of person, you don't have the patience for sitting down with, you know, 45 minutes or an hour from one person, and it requires the concentration. Well, or... I have a feeling. I noticed that the the... Deli guys, yeah, the cooks, uh-huh. they consume music differently because they have they stand someplace and they chop and they cut and they mix and they need music because they're not necessarily having conversations. Sure, they're not necessarily interacting with customers like we do. They're not on the phone, so it's just they're, something to have on in the so background. So they but... listen in a way that has to keep them energized, and I think it also has to be acceptable enough that other people in the room don't mind too much. So I'm just finding that, you know, they're the ones in particular who I'm like, wow, they listen to a lot of music, but they don't know what they're listening to. Yeah. Now, so I would guess that some of it is just his age, some of it is him personally, but I think some of it may be that they listen to a lot of music in a disembodied way, sort of, where it's keeping them going, but it's not something they're having the time to read about the, uh, the artist yeah, or look yeah, at yeah, the yeah. format. I mean, it's just a digital format. Yeah, yeah. So I think it's that's why I don't like. I mean, and you listen to music on YouTube just out of convenience, I guess, because of your like, because your CD player is broken and you're <laughs> at work and you just listen like. But I just find digital music to be really underwhelming. I guess, like in a lot of ways, it's not as interactive, and it usually sounds a lot worse. Yeah. Because it's been compressed. Right. It's, I think it's too far removed from the source of its making. Yeah. Yeah, a whole lot of layers going on there, and some of them are, have been removed in the middle. So, yeah, I for, feel like, you know, the stuff I love the best, I can. I know the album cover, I know who that album was dedicated yeah, to. Yeah. I certainly knew the lyrics. There was a time when I could pretty much sing every Joni Mitchell album from beginning to oh, end. Oh, wow. Not so good anymore, but I can certainly do a lot of her songs. But um, covers, you know, that's something I have to be able to have the distance to accept because it was almost like this is the way the song goes. Sure, If somebody covers it and changes it, then they're messing around with something that was... And even Joni Mitchell had a tendency to perform her songs quite consistently mm-hmm. the way they sounded on the album but now now she went back and redid a bunch of yeah, them yeah and as she did I realized well if Joni can rework them I other guess people other can. people can and you should be accepting of that <laughs> well or at least open to yeah, the possibilities yeah, that that presents yeah yeah it's not only one way a song yeah. can have much more elasticity sure. than just that one way 
Um, do you have any final thoughts for our listening audience, or have we maxed out all? I think that the goodwill. You know, another time, um, I will probably talk about some of the music when you, you know, want to get to the second round. Circle back around. Yes, yeah, yes. yeah. But it's um, it's kind of a wonderful chance to think about one's life and what has meant something musically because music is so significant it is something that you know there was a point where i thought i would take this whole other tack on this you one of the ways you had talked about this was what were songs that you didn't like yeah, and yeah. you grew to like now yeah. it wasn't so much that i was able to think of those but there are songs and albums that have gotten me through some very hard times in my life and took me by surprise because I wouldn't have known that that album could do that. For oh, me. sure, sure, sure. So, yeah. you know, the albums, that, the songs I'm picking out now are mostly songs that were just part of my growing up sure, process. Sure. They aren't ones that were necessarily other than the one that was in my now dead brother's wedding and then in mine. It wasn't so much about the way they echoed in my experience. They were more about what they meant to me as I became acquainted with them sure, sure. and listened to them and was identifying who I was sure. in the world sure. and this music accompanied me. But then there's other songs that have accompanied me through really, really horribly hard times in my life. And that language that music can, that therapy, that language, that whole thing that music can be like nothing else. Yeah. It's just, I mean, thank God for music. Yeah. <laughs> I think that's a good place to stop. Um, thank you so much for taking time out of your evening. And uh, thank you to your dog, who is, I think, my new best friend. <laughs> yeah. Um, she would be. But thanks for taking, you know, big thinking, you know, so thoughtfully about the talking points and coming up with this list and being willing to take time out of your night to, to converse.